Hello, and welcome to System Mastery, where this week we have no riding beast to beat, dead or otherwise, for any amount of damage. That's because this week we're taking you way back to the day. Hi, I'm the fabulous Eric Baker, and tonight, instead of you singing, I'm going to do three renditions of The Girl Is Mine with my extremely skeezy-looking drug dealer friend. Like, he's so suspect that he's gotten three pager notifications since the song started. Well, John is indicating to me that a reference to the weird old dude that KJ'd at our local karaoke club is too obscure, so... Okay, fine, whatever. Today's episode is about Tecamel, Empire of the Petal Throne from 1975. I guess it's System Mastery. Here we go. And welcome back to System Mastery. As always, I am your host, Jeff, joined by my other host, John. John, how are you? I am so full of nacho right now. You really did nacho hard. I nachoed hard and it defeated me. I didn't even fully get all them nachos in me. And I am whew, I having am, some nacho sweats. Luckily, all I ate was a couple of fish tacos, and so I feel pretty good. Yeah, man. You went the correct route. Yeah. Couple you of- had a couple fish tacos, and I had... Too much nacho. Too much nacho. That's going to mess with you sometimes. Here in San Diego, when you order nachos, they don't screw around. Oh, no. It's not like, here's a little thing of nachos, like some chips and some of that melty cheese. Here's a a little tiny dippy cup of melty cheese. It's like, no, here's 15 pounds of nonsense. Here's Here's an entire steak chopped up. Yeah, here's two plates worth of chips that are now smothered and covered in guac and sour cream and carne asada and beans and... Salsa fresca and anything else we could find back there. Yeah, basically you chose poorly. I didn't choose poorly. I just you chose poorly given that we had to record immediately thereafter. Well, you know, eyes bigger than my stomach. I was like, hey, I used to be a young man that could eat an entire nacho. <laughs> and now you are an old man and you boo the nacho. <laughs> and you know what? I boo the nacho as his father. <laughs> That's right, because you're so much older than me. I, I'm two or three years older than you, somewhere in there. Yeah, you old fuck. Now disgrace that chair no longer, Nacho Judas. <laughs> and other Aquid references. Hey. All right, so, uh, okay. Uh, we are going to be talking about Tecamel today. Tecamel was written by a fellow by the name of M.A.R. Barker. Ah, uh, uh, Ma Barker. Mar Barker. Uh, he was a big visionary in the in the mid 70s because this book is old oh yeah this is 1975 when it originally came out and we got uh well a basically reprint of it because copies of the 1975 one just don't exist so there's an entire like tecamel society that goes around and tries to like get pdf versions of it available to people so that you know, historically, it will be around. Yeah, so this is the one we're reading is the original original 1975 version with, like, a glossary stuck to the front of it and some extra maps and stuff attached to the back to kind of give you a little more kind of context. But really, it is very much the original book with the one thing that's big and obvious is that there's, there's a foreword to it that's written, like, seven years after the book was written. Well, there's two. There's one that is Gygax written right when it came out. Yes. And then there's... A Dave Arneson. An Arneson one for, like, the second edition from, like, 83 or something. Yeah, so keep in mind that Gygax and Arneson are kind of the biggest possible names you could get to uh, to recommend your book for you. Of course, I mean, at the time. an RPG coming out in 1975, who else are you going to have, right? It's like, hey, what else was there? I know, it's true. It, it does kind of feel like they got the only other guy. 
And you're like, hey, you're the other guy who does it's, this. It's not just that either, but the Gygax one is it, it's it's standard Gygax writing, which means it's entirely too verbose for what he's trying to get across. Oh yeah, but, but he is so willing to just fillet this book. Yeah, and it's kind of funny the way he does it because he's like, I don't, I'm not normally one to draw literary references, and I I find them distasteful and don't use them when I unless I absolutely have to. But this work is clearly the equivalent of anything that Tolkien ever put to pen. Yeah. And I love that he goes on about like, oh, this setting and all of this story and whatnot. He's and someday I hope there's actually a book for it. I'm like, wait, what? What? Hold on, is this there's, a ki- is this a 1975 Kickstarter thing? Like the way he was writing it made it sound like it was based on Tecumel novels. Mm-hmm. He was like, ah, oh, the stories that this man has been writing for so many years. And you're like, oh no, it's just because. Some dude has been doodling in his notebook about a pedal throne. Well, he even mentions, like, the Gygax letter mentions the famous Thursday night table, which I guess means that Barker's been running the game off homebrew stuff of his own for just decades, which appears to be the case. When you read the actual foreword written by by Barker himself, he ba- basically goes, so yeah, Tecumel's existed in my head since I was nine. Yeah. I, I've been I've been writing this this setting since I was a little kid, and now it's my magnum opus, my masterpiece setting. Yeah, and like anything you came up with when you were nine, it's absolutely perfect and needs no changes. <laughs> it needs no constructive criticism. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, this is a very inventive setting. So why don't we why don't we jump to that? What is the setting of Tecumel? Well, uh, it's a uh, science fiction by way of ancient fantasy, so kind of like a Gore or John Carter of Mars type of thing, where humans in their in their hubris in the vast future use their spacefaring abilities to colonize and settle a planet that had two intelligent races on it already and they straight up just went oh we're gonna murder you down until we put you in reservations mm-hmm. ha ha humans so that's what happened to the Hlus and the Sioux uh well, the Sioux is kind of a that's kind that's of a, a little on the nose a little on the nose as far as names I, I mean it's, it's SSU yeah but still uh, anyway, so the humans weren't alone in doing this. A vast variety of other spacefaring races were their like confidants and uh, accomplices because this was just how space travel was done. Uh, they they would go wherever they needed to by means of hyper gateways or whatever. They would manifest their destiny. They, yeah, they would settle that planet with a good heap of manifest destiny, and then they would go west, young spaceman. <laughs> and uh, the planet that this takes place on was settled by all these humans and other races and whatnot and then at some point it just like the entire solar system shifted into another dimension somehow they accidentally transferred dimensions with just their own planet a couple of moons it's just the solar system the solar it's, it's the whole solar it's the system the sun and the planets in that are revolve around it and that's it so they go into like a hyperspace warpway other dimension or something so for a long long time it's completely dark like there's no other st- stars well, in the sky no, yeah there's no stars there's just the one star yes and then i don't remember john do they pop out in another dimension or is it just permanently no in the it's one? just that they, so from they that point forward there's no other stars themselves in the sky. into this dimension yeah so they pop into a dimension that was otherwise kind of just empty uh, and so then uh, humanity fights to survive uh, in because it's the year 252525. <laughs> uh, and, but uh, all these various races are there's wars, there's there's uh, intrigue and 25,000 years goes by. Yeah. So and, and that's mean, where we are now. Yeah. In the same way that like uh, the Sky Realms of Joe Rune did this mm-hmm. where it's or like Cinnabar, you know, what are you doing? Uh we're doing a weird sci-fi thing, but we set it so far into the future that things have regressed to being a fantasy setting. Yeah, or Thundar the Barbarian. Except in this, 
like magic is real. Mm-hmm. It's real. <laughs> or weirdly, look who's talking to. Also yeah. said in one of these. Yeah, you remember in Look Who's Talking too when they went way far into the future and yeah. then everything reverted back to a weird primitive yeah. setting. They go to a crazy future where toilets can also talk in addition to babies and dogs. <laughs> Look Who's Talking Toilet. <laughs> Did you remember that about Look Who's Talking Too? That the toilet can talk in the movie as well? Everyone can talk in that movie. And do you know who voices the toilet in Look Who's Talking Too? I don't know. It's Mel Gibson. Hey! Voice of a talking toilet. Well... Twice, because he also did that in What Women Want. (laughs) (laughs) And also in real life. Also just normally walking around. Yeah. So anyway, uh, 25,000 years later, and society has reverted to sort of a tribal, weird kind of empires and and fantasy, and everyone fights with swords and spears state. Yeah, it turns out in this weird dimension that they got sucked into... uh, Gods exist. Yeah, there are, there are some gods. Uh, In fact, there are exactly, ten of them. Exactly ten gods. And they each have a little cohort. So there are exactly 20 people in this other dimension. There are the ten gods, and there are their ten cohorts. Uh, also, metal is becoming increasingly rare because none of the other plants that they brought with them had any good metal on them. So old metal stuff is extremely valuable, and everything else is made out of clenhide. Oh, yeah, because this planet isn't as far as resources go, exactly big on the whole iron. So no, no, it's much bigger on random naked alien races. Yeah, it's very big on weird beasts of burden and flying, like, snake worms. And acute and, accents. And so many accent marks. There are so many acute accent marks. So... A lot like you know, to go make. I don't. I'm not normally one, John, to make literary references or or uh, critiques. Uh, but if I may draw upon the greatness of Tolkien, uh, who was primarily a linguist who decided to write some stories, this guy appears to have been primarily a linguist who wanted to write an RPG. Uh, I mean, we get the background for him, and he's like, "Oh, I went and did like anthropology with a mostly a focus in like." South America, and I went around, uh, like, Africa and the Middle East and stuff. So instead of being this Eurocentric fantasy that you normally get out of fantasy settings, it is very deeply into a much uh, more, you know, South American, African, Middle Eastern sort of setting. There's a lot of Aztec, Toltec, Olmec in here. Uh, And it's... Maya, whatever. It gets a lot of... Things that you normally wouldn't see in a book like this. I mean, yeah. you're not going to see, weirdly enough, a lot of human-type races. Like, pretty much anything that isn't a human is a weird, gross alien. That is true. Uh, that's And it's very 1975 in terms of the sensibilities of how it describes the alien species. Uh, humans themselves all dress in feathered headdresses and big stone shoulder pads, and they all have that bowl cut and that big uh, that big aquiline nose that would imply how you would draw an Aztec person. Yeah. Uh, so all humans basically look like that, uh, and they all they're, they're they call themselves well they still call themselves humans, but they're ma- they're massive cultures. There's a variety of cultures that they live in, but the big one the one in question is the Soliani. That is basically the main setting for this is uh, the Soliani is the like the empire that has the pedal throne. So that isn't yeah, it's the empire of the titular pedal throne itself. Uh, but then there are a whole bunch of other alien races that are also sharing the planet. Now, twenty five thousand years ago, two of those alien races were local natives, basically just barbarian tribes people. Uh, they uh, fucking hate humans 
no duh, yeah. they got and murdered a lot. And they've kept that for quite a long time now. But the other thing, they were integrated with all these other alien races that came along with them when they were doing all the settling and conquesting and so on. Well, yeah, the background is like, yeah, humans showed up and started terraforming it, but all of these other people that were in their like, collective, you know, whatever, galaxy-wide nonsense empire showed up too and was like, hey, we'll settle here and we've got stuff we can bring in and we'll trade and do nonsense. So over the pre- past 25,000 years, though, that's kind of broken down. So most of the alien species that helped Earth colonize, or helped uh, the humans colonize this planet have kind of retreated and now they live in their own little enclaves in the woods and jungles and so on. A few of them are still friendly to humans, but most of them are like, ah, we are the Ahagya, we live in the woods. Yeah, we put holes in teeth, and that's all they do. That's all they do. They put holes in teeth. Yeah. Ceremonially. It's very weird that this book is as segregated with the races as it is. It it is strange. You'd think that over 25,000 years, new alliances would have formed instead of everyone just kind of... Well, also, given that, you know, when they get sucked into other weird dimension, you would think the people that were already allied would be like, oh, fuck, everything's gone to shit. We should stick together. But instead, they were like... Nope, I'm going to go into the strange alien swamp here that I don't know anything about, and that's where I will live forever. Yeah, that's what the the Ahagya did. The Ahagya is the first of the various alien races that exist in the game. You can play as any, almost any of these. Uh, yeah, pretty much anything that isn't just openly evil and hostile to humans. Or just too dangerous to play as. The only real difference between the various alien races is minor abilities that might be mentioned in the in the description of them, and then how many hit dice they could potentially have. Uh, there is, they roll their stats the same as everyone else, which by the way, the game has six stats. <laughs> yeah. They roll their stats the same way as everyone else. One, one leg, leg at a time. time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, but no, they're, they're, they have six stats in the game. The stats are strength, constitution, dexterity, intelligence, uh, intelligence and, then and then we replace, uh, wisdom, the wisdom with psychic potential. Yeah. And then charisma with comeliness. Good old comeliness. It's next to godliness. I... So basically, all of the stats are D100s. Yeah, it's all percentile, which he explains in great detail how to do, because this book has some old-ass dice language. Well, yeah, I mean, it's 1975. You start saying percentile, and people are like, the fuck? What? Yeah, instead he's like, use a D20 where it says 0 through 9 on the D20 twice, once in white and the other in red. You'll need two of these dice. Roll them twice, and the first will indicate the decades digit, while the second will indicate the single numbers digit. Uh, zero should represent a 10 unless it is a, a singles digit, in which case it represents a zero. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the whole thing with the stats is it's a percentile thing, but the difference between rolling a 1 and a 100 is like a plus 2 versus a minus 1. Yeah, they're, like, they're very there's minor not stats. a lot of stuff going on here. Yeah, so you roll six percentile dice. These will go up as you gain levels. Uh, if you're a human, you roll these six sets of percentile dice. Then you roll, uh, I believe the next thing is you choose your, your uh, one of the three classes that the game has, which are magic user, warrior, or priest. Yep. Uh, and then you roll percentile dice again to see how good you are at your class. Yeah, you can start the game and just be fucking garbage at what you do. Uh, or you could be like, 
oh, I've got the equivalent of starting, like, you start at level one, and I've got the equivalent of starting at level six. Yeah, it's kind of a weird decision. The way it works is you roll a second percentile die, and it goes straight up from low rolls are bad, high rolls are good. There's no parity here. Uh, You get to choose two powers from the first three on a list. So, for example, the first three uh, powers on the priest list are speak two two modern languages. The second one, speak two ancient languages. The third one, create light. Yeah. Uh, if you roll low, you get to choose two of those three things. Oh boy! If you ro- if you roll high, you get to choose five of the first seven things. Yeah. So you can get to a point where, you know, your first character there's only like nine or ten powers to choose from. So you can start out with, you know, Quite a level a seven power there. Yeah. And at that point, you're also just way better than anyone else because. The way that you get your rank up abilities is when you, you have to go back and get anything you've missed from the lowest possible. Yeah, so if you're, again, let's go back to that priest. If you roll the lowest possible thing, if you roll like an eight, and so you get to choose two of those three powers I listed, you're probably going to choose create light because speaking four extra languages is kind of meh. So you can be like, all right, I will choose two ancient languages so I can read cool things, and I will gain the ability to create a sphere of light. And then when you gain a level, you're like, all right, well, I I can now access the next tier up, which is something about healing. But before I can choose it, I do have to finish taking anything that's below me. So I have to go back and check that two modern languages one. Yeah. So you do get to make choice at the beginning of the game. But after that, it's pretty much just filling in the blanks until you're progressing the same as everyone else. Yeah. But the ones that roll high are like, I started with five powers. What did you start with? Out of seven. Yeah. It's it's a really weird. uh, It's just better to roll high. That's just the way it is. And it's... So this game does not have a spell list like D&D. No. Well, uh, it it kind of does. There's Because there's two sets of spell lists. There's When you're a magic user, you, you get those straight magic user abilities. Yeah. But then there's also other spells a magic user might know, and every time you gain a level, you roll to see if you pick up any of these other spells a magic user might know. Yeah. But it's not the way that, like, D&D does it. You no, don't have... No. Like at level one, these are level one spells. No, it doesn't have Vance. It's not Vancean. Uh, you have, like, as a magic user, your abilities are going to start out, and you'll have things like, hey, you know, you can, like, move stuff around. You've got some clairvoyance, or you've got clairaudience, or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of weirdly psychic stuff for the magic user at the low levels. It's because they, they take as much as they can from psychic potential, that's their primary stat. Uh, which is odd because it means nothing to either of them. No, <laughs> you just want to have it high. It's the same thing with how priests are supposed to have a high... I, I, it's actually, supposed to have it a high into intelligence, yeah. but it doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. Because high stats, all they do for you is change your ability to hit and damage. Well, psychic potential does co- change your ability to recover spells and also to ensure it, that your spells don't fail when you try to cast them. Yes. Because uh, there's just a built-in spell failure chance that has nothing to do with any... It's just sort of, do you have a low psychic potential? Chances are you'll fail your spells fairly often. And the grouping of abilities that you can get from. Yes. So the high-level groupings are much more difficult to get into. And if you have a low intelligence, they're like, oh, you can only pick from the first group. Yeah. Now, warriors are funny because all of their abilities are just ways to fight with weapons. So if you roll low on a warrior, you're like, all right, my character can choose between Spearman, Axeman, and Bola's Man, and I can choose two of these three. It's so weird to look at the warrior one, because the priest and the mage, as they go up, you're like, all right, you start with, like, languages or the ability to, you know, see into the distance. 
and then you go down and you're like, oh, now I can like cure people of their illnesses. I've got telekinesis now. But the fighting man is just different weapons. So it's like, oh, I reached the seventh level ability. I have crossbows now. I couldn't use them before. Yeah, but now I can. And next level, I'll learn to use a broadsword and a dagger at the same time, which is weird because I do not have the ability to use either one individually. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's very strange that the... Now, it does cap out with something that's not just another kind of weapon. The last two levels of the warrior are Sapper, which is your ability to build, like, tunnels and and, and take down enemy fortifications. Yeah. And Strategist, which is your ability to command armies. But those are, like, literally the capstone abilities of the warrior class. Well, yeah, I mean, before that, you can get, like, Ballista. Which is hilarious to me, because what that basically means is that unless you've got a lot of max-level warriors running around this world, most of the armies are led by idiots. Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. Thing is, most of the armies are just... Level one dudes who are like, what do you have? I don't know, a sword. A spear. Swords swords are too good for me. Swords, swords, are, swords level, are a four. Swords are the level four ability. Yeah. Like the basic sword. I had to have rolled better than low. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, that means unless there's a capstone style fighter following around your group, no one is a leader. Oh, yeah. And you, in just like old D&D, there is a very large emphasis on having dudes in your party that aren't part of your that PC is, group. Yeah, a huge amount of this book is given over to slave costs and hireling costs and hireling negotiations. And How much does it cost to get a warrior? How much does it cost to get a magic what's user? What's the housing and all this stuff? It's so interesting to see that it's the exact same set of interests between this book and AD&D, where it's like, oh, what's an adventure mean? Okay, well, the three of us who are playing characters hire up a giant party of idiots and we send them into a dungeon. I'm sorry, into the underworld. And we'll just see who dies. And it's it's fun for us. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the high-level things, they're like, one, you will never find a high-level priest who will work for you, period. Yes, that's... Because high-level priests have shit to do. Yeah. But you could find a high-level, like, warrior if you wanted to. And it says, like, if you find a high-level magic user, he is immediately suspect, because why is he doing your dumb bidding? Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, if you find a high-level magic user for auction in, like, the slave trade, it's probably because something's wrong with him. Yeah, you don't want that guy. <laughs> so, it's funny because it's not probably either. It's just, if there's a dude who's a high-level magic user for sale, something's wrong. Don't buy him. That dude is fucked up in some way. Yeah, the book's got a lot of, you could do this, but don't, built into it, which is kind of fun. Uh, okay, so that's the basics of how you build your character. You also roll to see how much money you have. Yeah, you just get a D100 of their... Yeah. Gold Kaitars. But we definitely have to talk about uh, hit dice in this game, because that's a weird thing. Fucking, okay. So I made a character for the bonus content before we started doing this. It helps you learn how to make the characters, yeah, or how the game works, is to actually use it. Now, the as I was saying with the uh, stats, basically everything is just you get a bonus to hit or damage if you get high enough, and if you're low enough, it's a minus to hit. But what yeah. it says in there is... Minus one to hit dice. Yes. Or plus one to hit dice. But then when it talks about your hit points, it says, hey, you've got one hit dice. And I went, okay, but if I've got plus one hit dice, does that mean I have two hit dice? And how come I got it from strength? That's weird. But, like, intelligence was like, hey, you rolled high on intelligence. You get a plus one on your hit dice. And I'm like, wait a minute. Do I get hit points from being smart? So hit dice is your chance to hit. It's the D20 you roll to see if you hit something. Except... Hit dice is also the language he uses when he's talking about how many hit points you have. Yes, he calls them hit dice points, which is a weird term I'd never seen before and took me a while to get my head around. So hit dice points is how many hit points you have. You just have to take that dice out of the middle of there. Everybody's got 
every human anyway, and most of the aliens start with one hit die and gain one hit die per level. Now, here's how that works. You roll a d6. That's how many hit points you have. Now, if you, po if you point out that all the weapons in the game also do one hit die, which means you never want to get hit with anything at low level, because it's just even money, it kills you. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's true. Don't get hit at low level. Unless you're fighting a magic user who doesn't use magic, because he uses a dagger, which is a d4 instead of a d6. That is correct. So, okay. Now, here's this is a fun thing. Let's say that you're a warrior, and you roll pretty well for your starting hit points. You have five hit points. You're a, you're a fighting man with five hit points. You carry around an axe. You finally gain an, an entire level of experience. You gain a hit die. How does that work? Well, now you roll 2d6. That's right. You don't add 2d6 to your skill. You have to re-roll your hit points every level of experience you gain. If you gain, if you roll less than your current, your pre current total, you just keep your current total. Yeah, it's... A weird decision, but part of me was like, okay, I, I understand sort of what he was going for here, which is if I'm a character and let's say, you know, I'm a fighter and I happen to get lucky randomly and the first three levels, I roll a 10 on my D10 hit points and I'm like, guys, I'm rolling at 30, motherfucker, woo! And you just happen to get very lucky then that can unbalance the math, whereas continually re-rolling means eventually you're just going to sort of even out. Yeah, no, it's true. It, it helps. It also helps fix. So, for example, if you're playing a warrior and you roll a one HP and you're like, ah, oh, goddammit, I have two hit points, because warriors technically get one extra hit point. Yeah, a die hit. plus a point. They get an extra hit die point per hit die. Uh, well, no, just at level one, just they get a die one. plus a point. Yeah. And then at, like, five or something, they go back to getting another plus one or something. It's weird. It is It is a confusing system. But eventually, you do pick up, or let's say you roll that one, so you have two hit points. When you get to that next level, you're not like, I hope I don't roll another one, and now I have three hit points. Instead, you get to roll both dice. Yeah. Which means it can help you balance a low roll or a high roll in kind of an average. Yeah, so the, the hit points in this, on a long enough timeline, will basically average out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, unless you get to like sixth level and fucking Yahtzee yourself some sixes, and then you're just like, suck a dick, dumb shit. Well, then you just sit there on that as you continue to gain levels. If you happen to have 38 HP at that level, then you're like, sweet, look how badass I am. Next, it, It's going to be unlikely my next roll is going to matter. Yes. Unless I happen to roll higher than the 38 on 76. Yes. So... So basically, you just get stuck. You plateau for a little while is all it really is. Yeah. It's, it is an interesting way to do hit points. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's the best because it still has that. What did you do? I rolled a one. First I mean, if level, it was the I best, die. If it was the best, we'd know about it because it would have survived the ancient days of history. It yeah. did not. This is a weird offshoot that didn't go anywhere. No, but as far as weird things that I'd never heard of being done for stuff, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this isn't terrible. This is better than just the roll of die and add it on, honestly. Now, in terms of combat, it's a Thaco system in all but name. They don't actually have that word yet. So instead, it's, you know, armor class goes from high number to low number to get better. And to hit it, you have to roll lower than that number on a D20 or higher than that number. Higher. Yeah, higher than that number on a D20. It's basically Thaco minus the, minus the word. Yeah, I mean, it's all just, what do you have? Uh, my armor is bad, uh, so you can hit me on an 11 plus. My armor is good, so you have to hit me on a 19 plus. Yeah. Uh, good armor is way powerful in this game. There's a lot of descriptions of people who are like, oh, I have pretty decent armor and a shield. No one can hit me unless they roll a 20. Oh, yeah. I mean, even just very, like, baseline, I've got chainmail and a shield, which is super easy to afford, even at, like, starting character creation. Mm -hmm. At that point, 
someone to hit you if they're like the same level as you, level one to I think two or three, mm-hmm. is like a sixteen or better. Yeah. So and armor armor Jesus. reigns supreme in this game. Thank. Unfortunately, though, everyone you're fighting is just more dudes, so their chances are they're going to be the same way, and, and no one's going to hit anyone, and the game's going to take a long time. Well, the only one who you get to kill is the magic user who can't use a shield and has to wear leather armor, which means you have to roll a 13 or better to hit him. That's right, yeah. Okay, so that's that's basically a character. I, I think you also at one point roll to see if you have any... There's a part where he, he goes into a little description of how uh, training in his game, he doesn't want to mention any of the useless skills, and so he's just going to list some skills that are actually useful to character design and play. Uh, so, so he hates it when he opens up a role-playing game and he's like... Oh, I, I, uh, this useless career from the mid from the Middle Ages. Why would anyone want to roll to be this? Anyway, here's a list of useful character cl- uh, careers that you c- could have prior to your becoming an adventurer. So you roll percentile and you check on this list, and it's got such useful careers as guy who used to make carpets. Yeah, the skill system in this is real weird because it counts like when we were talking about. Oh, you get you know the first couple of things from your class. That skills. But the other skills you get are in three groups. Mm-hmm. The first group is pretty much just, hey, anybody could do this, unskilled labor. Mm-hmm. Two is sort of skilled labor. And then three is noble. you had to yeah, you had to go to school for this. Yeah, it's noble labors, which are things you actually have to have had like money and stuff. But in depending order to on how to do. what you roll is how many you get and what level you can get them from. That's right. So you can be like, oh, I rolled and I got two skills from group one. All right, well, it turns out I know how to farm and how to dig ditches. Mm-hmm. Great. I know how to bury my own children. Yay. Woo. Or, or you can get the, if you roll the more average one, you're going to get some stuff from category two, which is things like, I know how to weave carpets. Boy. I know how to make glue. Wee. Yeah. Yeah. So the first one is all just manual labor. The second one is making things. And the third one is like, I know about like books. It's noble pursuits, so it's stuff like I am li- uh, literate, or uh, I know how to ride a horse, even though it doesn't do no. that, because one of the things about this universe is there are no horses to ride. Nope. There's big old hippo monsters that you that everything is made out of, and that are used as sort of beasts of burden, but I guess they're too slow to bother riding. It's weird to me that that's the case, because he goes out of his way to be like, there are no riding animals in this setting Period at all. Yeah, absolutely not. There might have been some at one point at a zoo of horses on some random island somewhere. But it's been 25,000 years, probably not anymore. No, there's definitely nothing you can ride around on, so everything is foot-powered. However, we do have, like, these carriages that are drawn by the clan, Mm -hmm. and I keep going, okay, why can't I put a saddle on one of these guys and ride around? Even if it's slow, why couldn't I do that? I assume it's because it's slower than walking speed. Yeah, but they don't tire. Like, I could just get on the back of one of these big hippo monsters and be like, all right, man, go that way, and I'll just hang out and eat a Lunchable. I assume it's because they have a pudding back, and if you lie down on top of them, you'll sink in there. Ooh, that's what I want. You want to die? In my riding animal, I want a pudding back. Yeah, you definitely want to get that pudding back. Unfortunately, John, the pudding is pistachio. Oh, who wants pistachio pudding? God. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. So what, what, who wants pistachio pudding that grows naturally on the back of a hippo monster from space? Right. That's not something anyone wants. What if it was chocolate? Would you would you be happier? I mean, I'd be happier. Yeah. What would be the ideal pudding for you? I mean, ideal pudding for me is butterscotch. You're a butterscotch. My bro. my hippo butterscotch space monster. When it comes to living in the hippo's pudding back, you go butterscotch. Oh yeah. Hmm. There's there's nothing better than a nice space hippo's butterscotch pudding back. Okay. I'm more of a lemon guy. Eh, yeah, 
I could see that. Yeah, well, it makes sense, right? I always, I'm always citrus. When yeah, you're often. you're a citrusman. Yeah, so that does. I mean, it's, I'm mostly I'm just grumpy that lime pudding is not a regular thing. No, I mean you can get lime jello as like one of the mainstays, but lime pudding is not. No, no one ever wants. It, I, I assume it's because lime and milk don't mix, as far as people are concerned. Probably. Also, where's grapefruit pudding? Because I would eat that for days. <laughs> Boo. Always fun for me to say. John hates grapefruit. Grapefruit is nasty. Grapefruit is delicious. You're nasty. Grapes are great. Grapefruit, bad. Both are fine. Sullying the good name of grapes. (laughs) Nope. Grapefruit is delicious. I'd like a nice tall glass of grapefruit juice right this very now. Ugh. All right, so let's get to them aliens you can play as. Now, the only differences, like I was saying way back in the day, the only differences between the humans and the aliens is the number of hit dice they start with, and some of them have some minor weird penalties and so on to be associated with them. I mean, mostly the penalties you're going to see for being any given non-human race is societal. Yeah, there's not like you get minus 10 to strength or anything. That never happens. No, the only difference statistic-wise really is... Some races have more hit points. That's it. Yes. Uh, like, some have two hit dice, some have three, and that's it. That is the only major difference. Uh, but, there, there's also number differences that pop up in society, and that is it. Oh, yeah, that's the big thing is, you know, because this game really railroads how your game starts. Oh, my God. When we get to that, it's 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 hilarious. But you're going to be in the Soliani Empire because, you know, fuck you, I made this whole thing. You're going to be in it. Mm-hmm. And... The ability for anyone that isn't a human to get, like, any rights at all yeah. is so difficult. If you're, like, uh, uh, any of these other species, you like, get... I'm a swamp person. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, the, swamp person. No one likes you. Yeah. You you look like a weird sack of fleshy trash with a yondu fin, mm-hmm. and uh, nobody wants you here. Yeah, and if you roll as a, as a danger field, then you get no respect. Yeah. No respect at all. At all. Yeah. So that's your respect is zero. <laughs> you don't want to play as a danger field. <laughs> All right. The the species are. And it's one thing I want to say here that I like about this is that the species aren't just humans with vestigial forehead ridges. Uh, they're all weird monsters. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are monsters in here that just straight up look like a ball sack has come to life and is wielding a spear at me. Yeah, that's pretty much the swamp person. So the first one is the Ahagya. Ahagya. The Ahagya is basically if a mushroom and a fire hydrant fucked. I think the Ahagwa really looks like a porcupine sandwich because they've got sort of like a crest on the bottom and the top, and in the middle is like a shaggy bit where its face is. <laughs> to me, it kind of looks like if uh, that, that He-Man villain Manny faces like sprouted four arms and four legs and just started walking around. <laughs> so oh, just his head, just his head popped off, sprouted four arms and four legs and started walking around. Yeah, I I say they're porcupine crabs, but that's right, me. That's fine. You can call them porcupine crabs. Here's here's the basic thing about them. They are radially symmetrical. They are cer- they're sli- they're cylinders uh, with a big old mushroomy armor top part of their head, uh, a face or face like stuff on each of four sides, uh, and then they also have four legs and four arms sticking out from each side. They do not wear clothes. They carry lots of weapons and shields and stuff because they have four four arms but that gives them no bonuses of any kind. They don't attack more than anyone else or anything like that. They just have four arms and don't worry about it. It's so weird that Mm -hmm. there's all of these very interesting, like not your standard, like this is an elf. What's that? A dude with pointy ears. It's what's this? Oh, it's some sort of insect dragon, like cobalt thing. And uh, it's your friend. They have eight genders. Good. 
Yeah, uh, and they're generally one of the nicer races to humans. There's a few that don't like humans at all and a few that are kind of like, eh, humans are fine. They're one of the ones that will show up just to do service in human armies and then just leave. Yeah, they're like, eh, sure, why not? I'm I'm all about doing some nonsense. So that's the Ahagya. Uh, they got a lot of these to get through, so we're just going to power right on through them. The next one is the Halaka. Uh, the Halaka are leather-winged bird people with big flat faces. Yeah, again, winged people, no flight ability, nothing you're getting for being that. Uh, yeah, they don't actually have a listed ability to fly. They just have wings. I assume they can fly because it mentions that they're useful to human armies specifically because of their flight capability. Yeah, but, but they're also you... cowards. Yeah, but they're cowardly uh, and they don't like to participate in real combat. There's no rules for what happens if you're playing one, how you get your flight abilities and so on. Uh, they are a two-arm, two-arm, two-leg, but they also have wings, and as I was mentioning before, huge faces. It's like if you took a blue whale's face and stuck it on a little leathery bat monkey. <laughs> so that's what the that's what the halaka are. Uh, they are very they are defined by their kind of hyperactivity and their cowardice. Yep. Okay. After the halaka is the hlertergu. Now I'm I would, the, I would just like to go ahead and state all of the names for literally everything in this book are that. The only reason I'm able to tell you these names is because I have a list here in front of me. Because everything is, I mean, once again, that's the Hluttergoo. Uh, they're very hard to remember. Everyone, Every time you see a real name, it's hard to remember. The names of the gods are hard to remember. And everything is just an indefinable mass of syllables with an with a uh, acute accent stuck in there almost at random. Yeah, and I mean, I would almost be okay with it if it was taken from, like, one type of thing. Like, if it was very Aztec in the naming conventions, which mm -hmm. the actual names of the pantheons of the gods are sort of like that. Yes. But you also get things like, oh, what is this? This is the land of the Amumgawandadal. Yeah. Like, or, wait, what? The Ubtubru. You're going to say, okay, I'm not going to be able to remember what that is. No, what uh, to, are to be you fair, talking about? Before someone sends me a letter about the the acute accents, yes, I know that they're, they're uh, indica indicating of primary it's syllable. Stress. Yeah, they're, they're stress syllable markers, which is why super long words will sometimes even have two of them in there. Yeah, but that the the umum de gung duel thing is just one where I looked at and I go, that that's just some dumb nonsense. Come on, man. So Hlutergu are fat apes with leathery wing flaps that go, extend underneath their armpits, kind of like Spider-Man's wing webs. Same. Uh, they have skeletal face heads, <laughs> uh, and they're always naked and their donkuses hang out big mood uh they're violent and gross and they're not friends with humans at all they're basically just one of the things you go out into the woods to kill all right that's me so there you go that's john the hlutergu after that is the hlus uh the hlus are one of the they're an insect species that's native to the planet they don't get a lot of mention because they're not one of the ones you can play as uh let's see what do we got next the mihali mahala the mihali uh the mihali are super sorcerous power people. They're basically humans. That, it says humanoid in appearance, except that they have six fingers on each hand and six breasts. <laughs> you know. And up-pointed ears, large opalescent red eyes, and they range from dull green to reddish brown. Yeah, but other than that, basically humans. Basically human. I mean, compared to an Ahagya. Yeah. I mean, compared to pretty much everything on this planet, yeah. Okay, the next one is the Niaga. Uh, sorry, the Niaga. The Niaga are, again, radially symmetrical lampreys with a collar that has eight tentacle arms sticking out from it about three quarters of the way up the length of their eely bodies. If you know what uh, Rift is, they kind of look like a Splugorth. Kind of like a Splugorth. Kind they of got that weird big eyeball in the center and got, a bunch of tentacles. Yeah, it's a, a collar of tentacles around an, a, a worm body with an eye in the front. 
Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That's them. They're they're aquatic, but they can use their tentacles to kind of manipulate around on land if they need to. Uh, after that, the Pachi Lei. Uh, Pachi Lei are pear-shaped, soft-skinned, four-legged, two-armed, grayish forest dwellers who live up in the trees. Yeah, that's I mean, the one I I thought looked like a ball sack come to life. Cause they, they really do. They're kind of like bottom heavy, so they just... They look like a like grandpa's ball sack hanging down, but they're wielding a spear. I mean, the basic thing is that when they say pear shaped, they don't mean the way like your friend is a little fat. They mean like these things are shaped like fucking boss pears <laughs> with with four legs sticking out the bottom and two arms up top uh, and kind of a little reptile face sticking out of the top as well. Yeah. So that's the Pachi Lei. Uh, they are perfectly fine with humans. They're they're one of the more friendly ones. Uh, they actually can sometimes gain citizenship in human uh, lands and, and join their armies and so on. Uh, very friendly to humans, but they despise, according to this, the Mauga uh, One more time. The Maugalavayani. <laughs> Good. Uh, but Vayani, by the way, is another thing you see a lot of. It almost feels like they're taking, like he's taking an Indian root word there because there's a lot of uh, Mahash Devani and, and Ur Devani and so on, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so that's the Pachi Lei. They look like pears. Uh, the next one are the dragon ants, the Pei Choi. Uh, Pei Choi look like dragon ants. They're also very friendly to humans. Yay. Whatever. Uh, after that, the pygmy folk. Just angry little pygmies. You don't need to know much more than that. The book certainly doesn't tell us much more than that. Nope. You don't want to play as them. They're just grumpy little dudes who are less than a meter tall. The, uh, the Shen. Shenner might be worth talking about. Shen, first of all, are the only species in this entire book that's intelligent, other than humans, that wears clothes. Good for them. Finally, someone I can sell my textiles to. Everyone else is naked all the time. Running around is a big lump of matted testicles or whatever. Oh, yeah. But it these guys are like, they all dress like ancient Roman lizard gladiators. It's so weird. Now, they're also kind of friendly to humans, but ba they're basically the book's Klingons. They're defined by their honor code and their valor in battle. This, there's always one of those, right? Every every book that's got a bunch of alien races has to be one who's like, ah, oh, we are all warriors, every one of us, and we want to fight and drink a barrel of blood wine. Yep, that's us. We all only care about honor. Yeah. Uh, they have big club tails, complete with the Ankylosaurus thagomizer on the end of them. Yep, uh, indeed. And it's funny because these things are an ancient spacefaring race that's super intelligent, just like humans are. But when they get into combat, they have to roll every round to see if they accidentally smack one of their friends with their tail because they get so excited. I feel like... Somebody's watching you. I know. That in the future, maybe. Well, in the past of this future. Mm -hmm. Like, they had developed to a point where, like, oh, we just use, like, ranged weapons. Because we as a species know that if we try and get into melee with people... Our tails go nuts. Just like, tape the fucking thing we're down. We're like excited dogs. <laughs> so all we use are guns. Just tuck the fucking tail into your pants. Come on. Don't hit me with your tail. It does a D6 damage. Tuck yeah, but that at that point, in. if you go fight by yourself, you're like, bitches, I got another D6 no rule. coming. There's no rule for that. The only thing the tail can possibly do is, is accidentally hit your friends. Oh, well, at that point, you get into combat and you're like, I'm going to fight this guy. You, other guy I'm fighting. You're now my friend. I name you my friend. You are my friend now. Oops. Uh, okay, there's only a few others to go through here that are, that are worth mentioning. The Swamp Folk, which are basically ball sacks on legs. They're big and flappy and gross and, and moist and ugly, and they have a big old fin on their head that connects to their own back. Uh, the Sioux, which are one of the two na native species, they look like mummy fish that smell like cinnamon. Yeah, pretty much. The, <laughs> like, the evil people in this are the insect dudes and then the aquatic dudes. Yeah, the Toby Hluss and then the, and then the Peggy Sioux's. Uh, the Sus are basically fish Kuotoa monsters, but they're described as having skin that looks like it was rolled onto them. 
like all of their arms and legs are just extended toilet paper rolls. Oh, good. So the skin's always just tearing off in big sheets everywhere they go. Uh, they they speak entirely in a language of chimey bells, and they smell like musty cinnamon. Yeah, but they look like gross cave fish with their skin falling off. Yep. Okay, so there you go. Uh, and that is pretty much it. I don't think there's any any others that are actually worth bringing up or talking about. Maybe the Tinalia, uh, which are basically just sort of like a wizardy sort of thing. Meh. But anyway, there's all these different species. All of them are super naked. Uh, all of them <laughs> live off on their own in the woods. It's weird. And they have varying amounts of arms and legs. And honestly, they're pretty cool. I'm, I'm not going to say they're not cool. They're really interesting. No, I'm, I'm not going to knock the creativity in this. The... I mean, like we said, the setting is very non-Eurocentric. It's got interesting non-human things in it. Mm -hmm. The only problem is the game is so human-centric that you're like, oh, but all these exist to do is to be weird things that I meet occasionally. Yeah, that's right. Uh, especially because when you read the novels, like the novels based on this RPG, it's always like the tale of some human who met all these alien races and was super gobsmacked about it. When it's like, why? He's been living on the same planet as them for 25,000 years. Yeah, you would think meeting any one of these people, you'd be like, yep, that's a whatever. Yeah, it's basically like how Harry Potter is eternally gobsmacked by nonsense that should just be basic common sense to him. Uh, like, what? There's other magic schools? Like, yeah, duh. Would you think there was only one in England, you dumb shit? Well, yeah, I did. I'm the dumbest character in these books by a long margin. <laughs> in any other book, I'd be the bully bad guy. No. He's too, he's too, like, dumb in a way that isn't mean. <laughs> no, he's dumbly selfish is the problem. Harry Potter would be the bad guy in any book that didn't have cartoonishly evil extra villains. Because ah. he's just a mean jock who only thinks about himself. Hey. And is so inwardly focused that he's amazed whenever he learns anything new about the wizarding world. <laughs> like, if, uh, if there wasn't even evil or crab and goyle running around, he'd be like, Harry Potter is the jerk of, of uh, Gryffindor. Well, you'd think that, you know, the first couple years, you can give him a pass. Like, you've never known anything about wizards, and you're also, like, 10. Come on. It's, it's like a 10-year-old that's gone to wizard school. You're like, oh, I don't know anything. Okay, well, he, when he finally learns that there might be other wizard schools, he's, like, 14, because that's the fourth book. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying, is by the time you hit, like, book three or four, and it's like, hey, there's a spell that lets you do whatever, and he's like, what? I'm like, that Dude, sounds like me. Magic! Sorcery, I say! You've, you've been practicing magic for fucking four years. Like, the second you learn there's a spell that can do X, you should go, sweet, I wish I knew it. Yeah. Oh, how you do that? That, that should be all he ever says to anything. Instead of like, what? That sounds like crazy sorcery. <laughs> hey, there's a potion you can take and it makes you shapeshift. What? <laughs> I'm still gasping from when I learned that there's ghosts walking around and one of them is John Cleese. <laughs> John Cleese is dead in this universe. It's extraordinarily disappointing. <laughs> okay, uh, so the next thing I guess we might as well talk about is what do you want to talk about next, John? The gods or how the game plays? Uh, I mean, how the game plays we can do pretty quick. It's Well, I mean, how it starts. Well. Because how it starts is what's really fun to talk about. Well, yeah, because I was going to say how the game plays is there are 10 million fucking charts in this book. Yes, everything is a chart, everything is a random roll, and in any situation, and this is my favorite thing about the whole book, in any situation, when he encounters something that he's not interested in writing about, he just says so, 
He's just like, naval combat. I am not interested in writing about naval combat, and therefore it will not be discussed in detail here. If you find yourself to be interested in naval combat, here is a list of other old RPGs that might contain it for you. It's D&D. Yeah, just go by D&D. it's 1975. Just go by D&D and, and read about their naval combat and use that instead. You may have to modify, but just do it. Fucking do it. Whatever. Who gives a shit? Like, yeah. he is so very focused on his setting and what he likes from his setting mm-hmm. that he'll have just pages and pages of encounter tables and charts and the way people react to things in different settings and he's like oh yeah here's how if you're in the like this p- specific like uh biome you know, oh you're in a forest as opposed to a jungle as opposed to a desert mm-hmm. there's all these different encounter tables and when you encounter them there's a table for how many you meet and there's a table for how they react to you and then and if, they're, they're, if they're if they're humans you have to roll for every single one of them to see if they have any magic items on them and then there's a table to see what kind of magic item they have if they have a magic item and then if they're mean there's a table for how you can get away depending on what biome you're in and how many of them or how many are you yeah so it's a tremendous amount of random tables and not just percentile rolls either. Like, for example, there's one kind of bird in the bestiary that's like valuable alive. So it's like everyone who hunts these birds has to do it with an arrow that has no arrowhead on it. You shoot the arrow at the bird and on a one or two, you capture the bird. But on a six, you accidentally kill the bird. Okay. And it's like, wait, so that happens. Every, you can't do anything else. You can't like put up a net or whatever. What I can't use one of these various spells I have that stun things or just telekinese the bird down into my hands. Nope. You have to fire an arrow with no arrowhead at it. And on a one or two, you capture the bird. But on a six, you accidentally kill the bird. Uh, well, what about the many other options I could potentially employ given that my character has a wide range of abilities and powers? Okay. So let me see if I can break this down for you correctly. What you want to do is either capture the bird, which again is accomplished by rolling a one or a two when firing an arrowheadless arrow at it, or accidentally you might kill the bird if you roll a six. Yeah. The... The book has a lot of assumptions about the way the world works mm-hmm. because... It's because it's 1975. Well, to him, it's his setting. And he's like, no, this is just what you do. Yeah. And there is no, but what if my character wants to do X? He's like, but that's not how the world works. What if I want to get in a fight with my friend? Ah, then you want to get into the Heractalini arenas or whatever it was. Because PC to PC combat does not exist. Yes, you can't do it unless it's under the guise of this arena system that exists in the game. You have to go, well, what if I just punch my what if I just punch Dave's what if, character? What if I take a sword and I say I don't like you anymore and I stab him? You can't. You can't. That is not done. You have to go to an arena combat. And you can't do that until you're level 5. So, um I mean, I guess until like level 5, if you hate the person you're hanging out with, you have to leave. Like even if he goes, "Hey, I took all the treasure and I shit in your bed." Bye, you can't stab that guy. <laughs> well, it's not like getting the treasure does you any good anyway. Because here's the fun thing about this game. It uses that old AD&D XP is treasure thing. Uh, for every one point, one gold kaitar you find, you gain one XP. For every monster you kill, you gain all the XP that monster is worth. Because you get monster XP based on who killed the monster. Whoever strikes the last blow gets the treasure. God, that's uh, the fucking the worst. XP. Yeah, it's kind of a bad old system, but there it is. And it's funny because he even acknowledges it's kind of a bad old system where he's like... He's like, uh, players who would be in, in, in t- inclined to split the XP up by attacking the monster individually are shit out of luck. The person who strikes it last gets the XP. <laughs> I'm like, what does XP mean to you, book author? Does it, uh, it's learning, right? It's, it's learning through experience. So if you fight a monster, but you don't specifically strike the killing blow, you learned nothing? Yep. Because that's, that's a weird extrapolation, but it's 1975, so what are you going to do? No, it's 1975, and that's all we've got. Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> the way that the treasure and everything is where it's like oh yeah you can find some gold k tars 
of stuff in the underworld, which is odd considering that it's like the underworld is a dungeon. It's it's dungeons, but it's the cities that you were in now were built over ancient cities, so you're pretty much just going into like old New York. Yeah, and it, it, before that it was New Amsterdam. <laughs> Oh my gosh, why'd they change? Well, because a, a temporal rift sent the entire planet hurtling into a black void. Oh, oh well, there you and go. And people just liked it better that way. Ah! <laughs> uh, okay, I'm sorry. So the underworlds are basically these cities below, the, 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 the remnants of what used to be. So a lot of magic items you find in this game are actually ancient technological items that still work because they have inscrutable super tech power sources uh, that people do not understand anymore. Which... While reading this, the there are these devices called eyes. Always in quotation marks. And these eyes are the super tech that you can find in these ancient cities. They're basically like tricorders or phasers or something. Well, it's it's all just they do weird, dumb shit. Yeah, but in terms of description, they're like, it's a little lens with a button on the back. Yeah, it's it's always just, what's this? It's some kind of disc. There's a button on one side and a beam that shoots out from the other end. Mm-hmm. And what that beam does is dependent on what you find. There is one that just does laser damage, so there's one that's just a gun. Oh, yeah. But most of them are... are, Here's the thing that that drives me nuts about the eyes, and then subsequently about the books. Uh, He's really, really big on saying, I don't like Greco-Roman settings, and I don't like medieval settings, and I really wanted this setting to feel like something different. And that's why all of his weapons, and all of these eyes and so on, sound like they were named by a guy who spent the entire morning sewing moons onto his hat. Because it's all things like the most excellent ruby eye, the eye of efficacious dispensation of the dead. Yeah. Eh. Mostly when I was reading it, I was just trying to figure out what the tech explanation was. I know. Because you you see these things, it's like, what's this do? Well, it's a gun that that you shoot at a lady and it makes the lady like you. Oh, so it's a rape laser? Oh, you've got the Hapen Gun of Command. Yeah, the Hapen Gun of Command exists in this game. Whatever. By the way, there's only two references to gender in this book that matter, beyond telling you that the alien species have a variety of genders. Uh, One of them is that if you're a female, you can just choose to be male if you want. You just declare yourself a dude and now you are. Uh, in in all legal terms, yeah. like you can run for office or hold office or whatever you want to do, own own land and slaves. Uh, the other one is this laser we're talking about, the eye, which t- which only works on members of the opposite sex. Yes. Mm-hmm. The uh, there's also the courtesan as a class. I'm the, sorry. The weird thing with the eyes as well is this is a game that. I mean, like, the last thing you get as a magic user is the Grey Hand, which is a spell that just kills you and there's no save. Yeah, it's just disintegrate, basically. It's just reach out and kill someone. And there's the same thing. There's an eye that's supposed to be basically like a construction unit. It You go up to a wall and it knocks a wall down, or it builds a small tunnel or whatever, and you just sort of, like, place the eye next to where you want to go and it blasts stuff out of the way. Mm-hmm. And it just says, oh, but if you, like... Put this next to a dude. That dude will be blown apart, and he is dead. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, hold on. I could find one of these random, like, ah, oh, the eye of digging a tunnel, and it just auto murders anything I pointed at. This is amazing. But it does have like a one inch range or something. Oh yeah, you got to do it at like I have to touch you. But who gives a shit? I'm gonna be like, oh, I'm at melee range. Blap. Yeah, it also has charges. All the eyes have charges. Yeah, they it's- have a D100 charges left. Yeah. Uh. So okay. The one that protects you against the gray hand is a particularly interesting one because magic is new. Magic happened when they crossed over into the new dimension. Yeah, they found all of these gods and then magic existed. And so up until that point, it was just tech. What that meant was that someone in the ancient past built a future tech defense weapon uh, to be used against magic that did not exist. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that protects against the gray hand also protects against, like, 
projectiles and stuff. So I think it's just a force field. Just a force field. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, the books are particularly fun. You find books, and the books are basically ancient treatises of sorcery about how to do various things, and they have the most fun names of anything in the book. The entire uh, Tecamel. In terms of like long-winded uh, words written out in this Solyani language, yeah. you'll never find better ones than here at the books. And then the descriptions, what they do is always things like a spell to dispense with the dead in a way that makes a, a, an efficacious usage of green viridians. You're like, wow, why is it called that? Why isn't it called the cool, uh, given a much cooler name? <laughs> why isn't it called Turn Undead? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that's Magic There's a few things about Magic Items I found funny. One of them is that there's, it just says Magic Swords are intelligent. I think it's supposed to be optional. I don't know, man. It's supposed to be optional, it probably. It could just be that they're all intelligent, but only some can talk to you. But then every time you go through and look at all the random items for the t- swords, you're like, remember, if you roll a sword, it's intelligent, so go back up to table 1410. Yeah, I think you have to get a sword that can communicate in some way for it to matter. Like, oh, in order to for this to be magical, I have to imbue it with some man- manner of intelligence. But unless it has, like... The ego ability where it can like communicate with me like psionically, then it doesn't matter that my sword is intelligent. It's just a plus one sword, <laughs> and it is very sad that I am using it. By the way, a plus one sword means a couple different things in this game because it doesn't have shorthand for what plus one means yet. Plus one is plus one hit dice, uh, unless it says otherwise. Uh, uh, if it does, it'll say it does plus one hit dice and plus one hit dice of damage. Yeah. Uh, in which case, it's a chance to hit and also a, a bonus to damage. And you can roll a sword that's like, I'm plus two to hit and plus four to damage. Great. Another thing I, I found amusing is the initiative system for the combat in the game is you just sort of uh, roll a d6, to, unless you can argue your way into a higher initiative. You just fucking wing it. You just roll a d6, and, and whoever goes first goes first or whatever. But it says, like, all right, here's the combat, the order of combat and the way it plays. Whoever has the higher roll may swing against his opponent. Then his opponent may return a swing against him, and it proceeds on in that fashion until one of them is dead or one of them runs away. And <laughs> I was like, wait, does that mean that it doesn't matter, like, every fight's just one-on-one slap fight that occurs, and you just resolve the entire thing? Yeah, these two, fight. Like, I punch that guy. He punches you. I punch him. He punches you. I punch him. He fucking punches you. I fucking punch him. He died. Okay, oh, good. Gr- good. All right. Well, so it's, it's, it's like any encounter in a frat house. Yeah. It, meanwhile, what's going on with everyone else in the party? I'm fucking punching this guy. He punched you. He punched me. I, I punch him. You punch me, I punch you. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, I'm just drinking my booze. I don't think it's supposed to go that way. I think it's supposed to be like everyone takes their turn in order. Yeah. But the writing is very, it, it, it's clear that it's like when, when oh, you punch no, anyone, the, they punch you right back. It is definitely written like combat in this is a dick kicking contest where you go back and forth. Yeah, it's just a Rochambeau. Yeah. It's sort of a weird, it, it's like for a dude who is super verbose, he's got the exact same late 70s I went to college disease that that uh, Gary Gygax has where the entire book is full of QVs and, and uh, various Latin uh, like language assisted uh, guide things in parentheses and italics. Yeah. There's a lot of QVs and EGs and so on just stuck in here all seemingly at random. Also, in the... Uh just thrown out for the magic items and stuff. It is way better to be evil than it is to be a good person. Oh, there's way more shit. Yeah, a lot of the books are just like, if you're evil and you pick up this book, you gain a level. Well, it's like, okay, what is this? Oh, it's a book for magic users. If you're, this is the good book for magic users. If you're good, you gain a level. If you're evil, you gain a level, but you also take like a D6 of damage. Who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. Here's the evil magic user book. If you're evil and you read it, you gain a level. If you're good and you read it, you lose a level. And you're like, what? Yeah, it's way better to be evil than good, uh, which it doesn't seem as though the book really encourages you to be good anyway. There's five good gods and five evil gods, and at no point throughout the book does it be like, is it like, hey, uh, worship the good gods, though. 
Like the, well, the the good and evil gods are basically parallels. The, yeah, the mirror versions of each other. Mm-hmm. But that would be almost okay if the cohorts don't exist, because basically all of the cohorts are just yeah, me too to whatever god they're the cohort of in various ways. Like for example, the benevolent god of creation, uh, whose name escapes me because it's just some word in Solyani. Yeah, it's like H- Halana or something. Yeah, something like that. His cohort is a mega lazy dude. Oh yeah, he's well. He's a dude who's like, "What do you do? Uh, I sing hymns to the god and I write stuff down. I'm basically like the secretary of the gods, and I do not give a single fuck about anything." Yeah, it's Hinala and his cohort Draw, and Draw is descri- described as an unkempt fat dude who gives no shits. Yeah, which is weird because everyone else is like, "What are you? I'm the god of battle. What's your cohort? Also a god of battle. Mm-hmm. What are you? I'm the god of fucking. What's your cohort?" The god of fucking. Yeah. The two women are both gods of fucking, basically. Yeah. There's two female gods. There's Avanthe, who was the god of good fucking. Yeah, the god of that good fucking. Yeah. And then the other one, like, de- something, de- Delendi? Uh, Delamalish. Delamalish. Yeah. Who is the evil god of perverse fucking. Yeah. She's like, oh, she wants to break down the family unit. Yeah. It's funny, when they when you read the Avanthe description, first of all, the very first thing it says about Avanthe is she has big boobs. Oh, yeah. So don't you worry about that. Well, there's some society of dudes out there that are like, oh, we worship Avanthe because she got them titty. Yeah. Some some, some gods got the big bap. Uh, <laughs> but, but it also is like, this is the sort of woman who you can lay your head against her wary breast and expect rest and more. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay, so you can fuck her, but she's you, you have to start by... She's wearing a white outfit, is basically what it is. Oh, yeah, no, Avante is very much the... What is this? Oh, this is the mother and whore, yeah. whereas... The other one is Delamalish the whore. is just the whore. And key party, yeah. It, it's uh, Delamalish seems like a way cooler god to worship to me. Yeah, I mean, Delamalish is pretty much the goddess you worship if you are anti the patriarchy because her whole thing is if you're a woman you should break down the standard family unit fight against the society as a whole and establish your own rule you should have empowerment as a female and i was like oh the evil lady god is way better she's way better she's like own sexuality for yourself take what you need from it where the good one's like you should dress in a white wimple and wait for a knight to come in and it's gonna feel weird when he first goes inside you but just wait for him to make sperm and then it will be over (laughs) Just lie back and think of I don't know, Anala, not England or me. I don't know something. Yeah, so it's the the evil female god is rad, and everyone should be on board with Delamalish, the god of orgies. Yeah, Delamalish, god the of orgies, god is of, great. That's right. <laughs> so Delamalish, and uh, her cohort is just what are you? Uh, also sex. Yeah, it's Rehayal, the cohort of Delamalish. Yeah, al- almost all of them outside of the fat secretary, the cohorts are just like, what are you? Also. Uh, also that. Yeah. All right, what's the evil god of battle? Oh, he he loves blood and fire. All right, what's his, his cohort? Uh, Mostly he likes battle and fire. I guess he just missed out on blood. He just, yeah, he doesn't, he's not into the blood scene. Great. Wonderful. Okay. So when you start this game, your party, one by one, arrive in Soliani, the, the capital city, in a little boat from somewhere else. You have 150 kaitars on you, and it is expected that you are going to attempt to sell your boat. Yeah, you you sell your boat for the 150. You have a D100 that you roll randomly. You, you buy your you nonsense. That, you hope to get the 150 kaitars for your boat because it's a. I mean, this is literal, by the way. We're not saying that this is what most people go through. This is the description of the start of play. You arrive in Solyani on a small boat from wherever backwoods nowhere you came from, no matter what you are. 
This is how your your adventure starts. You immediately want to sell your boat. It's worth as much as 150 kaitars, but beware, ye traveler, for the people of Soliani are fierce and, and uh, canny merchants and will definitely bargain you down. Okay, is there a skill for bargaining in any description of what that means? Yes, there is. It's the haggling one. It's an, it's uh, it's a laborer skill. Oh, it doesn't labor. really have anything useful to it. Yeah, but it does it say like, oh, well, I rolled well on this. What does my 150 turn into? It's really supposed to be that you have an argument with your DM. Yes, I know it is. Yeah, and and the reason you can't play as a human from Soliani is not stated. You have to be, if you're a human, you're from somewhere else, and you arrive and have to sell a boat, and it takes a while to figure it out, but it's because whoever ran this game for decades before he actually set it down as a book, Mr. M.A.R. Barker, was like, don't you tell me things about the capital city, because you are here to be toured around my beautiful and beloved capital city and hear everything rad about it. So if anyone's from Soliani, they might try to interject or countermand. See, I have a much... Uh, nicer opinion about it, mm. which is it is a way to ease everyone into it because the way that it works is all right. You're limited to the like docks foreigner section. That is kind of a cool thing, yeah. And so everyone starts there, and it's a way to rather than just be like everyone's in a bar. It's look, you all live in these fucking slums. Mm -hmm. Eventually, you're all going to get a job from somebody and start working together. And as you go up in level, you can get. Like, access to more of the city, slightly more rights in the city, better paying jobs that send you farther out. So it's pretty much his way of going like, all right, I'm going to just ease you into my absolute bonkers fucking setting. Yeah, it's Grand Theft Auto. You get to start in one little zone, and then eventually you get a skill that takes you to, like, the Las Vegas equivalent yeah. of, the, of the city, and you get to go hang out there now. Your map just gets progressively larger for what you give a fuck about. Mm -hmm. And then eventually you put in that code that gives you a tank, and then you're like, hey, this game's way more fun now. Yeah, eventually you're just like, look, I have a jet. Wee! Yeah, yeah, it's the Harrier. All right, so uh, so that's how every single game automatically starts. I actually, I kind of like it. It's not the first time we've seen a game that gives you a regimented start point. Uh, I mean, we've seen that in Numenon, uh, Tales of the Floating Vagabond, where it's like, you are here, and this is fucking happening, and don't you try and stop it. Yeah, this is the way that the game works. From there, you can tell whatever story you want to, but just the way that it should start is like this. Yeah, in my case, I'm going to just keep that fucking boat. It's, it's a boat. Fuck you, I've got a boat. I've got a boat. That's so useful. What if I want to leave? I was going to leave. I'm going to take the boat and go. Fuck you. Oh, is this yeah. Soliani? Whoops, I didn't mean to go to Soliani. Oops, I get back in the boat. I wanted to go to Observator uh, uh, Divani. Yep, I wanted to go to Mumdugumshila. Dumdurburjurburjin. That's where I headed. I'm headed to. Yeah, that's right. I'm headed to the city of Swedish chefs. <laughs> Yep, that's me. That's where I'm going. That's where we're headed. So, so there you go. That's that's. I mean, that's pretty much it. We've talked a lot about this fucking. That's mostly Tekamel. This is a pretty fascinating book. I mean, I'm not gonna. I don't want to denigrate it too much because it's so old. It's like making fun of the Venus of Willendorf or something. Where you're like, you're like, oh, you idiot. Women aren't that pendulous. Yeah, I mean, this is just like so old that it's more interesting to see the decisions that were made than I am like. You dumb idiot. Uh, there's things in here that I find absolutely fascinating. Like the uh, the the thing where he's just like, I'm not interested in this, so go and use Dungeons and Dragons instead. I'm like, oh, I wish I'd see more books these days that did that. Yeah, who were just like, what about the magic system? Fuck magic. Fuck you, go use something else. If you I don't want care. magic, go and find a book that has magic in it. That is of no concern to me. Who gives a single shit? Good day, sir. Mm -hmm. I love the crazy alien races. I'm a little disappointed that they're all naked savages, but it's neat that they're not all just humans with slight differences. Yeah. Uh, so there's so many things about this book to both like and dislike, so let me start with doing that. John, what would you say is your favorite thing about Tecamel, Empire of the Petal Throne? Uh, I would say, 
for a game of its time, the way in which your stats work mm-hmm. is actually really good. Uh, considering you could roll like a zero one on your percentile dice, and you would pretty much only be like, oh, I got a zero one in strength. I'm minus one to hit. That's it. But if you rolled a 100, you're like, oh, I'm plus one to hit and plus one to damage. The difference between rolling low and rolling high isn't that bad. It's almost like the percentile was just there because they needed that uh, like convention because that's what people did. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, you could just say, like, what are you? I'm a fighting man. Okay, you got a plus one to hit and a plus one to damage, but you can't cast spells. Whatever, fuck it, I don't care. And that's basically what you're looking at here. Yeah. So I'm going to say my favorite thing about this book is the setting. I, I love this kind of ancient, dripping, uh, techno-magical uh, Aztec society. It's sort of a neat concept, and you can tell it's a very beloved one from the person who was writing it. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm not so sold on the origin of the setting, where there's all this work that goes into, like, oh, an alien species was here, and then humans colonized, and then a bunch of other species showed up, and then... 25,000 years of random battle in Aztec history took place, and there's also a portal jump, and it's like, there's a lot of... It's there's a long, so many hoops to jump through. There's a long walk to get to this cool setting. But uh, it could just be somewhere there's a planet that looks like this, and it's all crazy. The end. Oh, yeah. I mean, this very easily could have just been, what is this? Tecumel is a place that exists. It's got this society going on. That's it. You didn't really need to do the whole, like, oh, it's an alien planet, and humans are there, and humans... And the people they brought with them were cut off, and then thousands of years later, gods exist now, and you're like, what? But that said, I do really enjoy the setting that it ended up with, where it's like a bunch of, uh, you know, it, uh, in, in fighting over who shall be the glorious emperor, and if you are the emperor, then you're immediately hit, locked away in a tower, never to see the world again, and and uh, there's a lot of infighting and, and, and grand armies and, and crazy hippo monsters and... <laughs> It's just sort of a cool, fun setting that, that that ended up that's... From 1975, this is crazy interesting. Yeah. It's not just hobbits. Indeed. So, I like that. What would you say is your least favorite thing? Uh, least favorite thing, I... I really want to say that it's probably the rape gun, though... I know, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to pick I the mean, rape gun. I mean, it's real easy to pick that, but if I'm going to go with just a, like, something mechanically... I would probably end up saying that it's the uh, starting skills. I mean, like we said, I could start out as a priest and be like, oh, what do you have? I know two languages and I can create light twice a day. I know two languages. fucking do. And I know two other languages. Oh, my other dude also rolled a priest, but he rolled real well, and now he can heal people and he can, like, create food. And Oh, God damn it. When we gain a level, he'll be able to revive dead people. I'll be able to heal people. I will never catch him. Well, actually, he might. You could catch him if you kill more stuff, like get the killing blow, because that's where XP comes from. Oh, yeah. And I mean, at that point, you may as well just be like, all right, let's whittle him down. Everyone back off, Timmy. Yeah, go ahead, get in there. Get your levels up. Come on. Yeah. The other thing I found funny about the leveling is that there's specifically a rule that says you can't gain more than one level at a time. Uh, and if you, it's like, hey, are, are you level one? You can only gain 5,000 exper- experience in the first game because 5,001 experience would put you at third level. Ah. So you can get to one XP away from third level, but you can't, any other experience is wasted. Great. Yeah. So I if like you the, find I, if you've been a playing shit this, ton of KTARs, you're just like, all right, I'll take 5,000. You guys split up the rest. Yeah. Or you're just like, why are we, 
why are we adventuring for so long? Why don't we take a break here? We've been playing this game for 26 straight hours. <laughs> I've gained so many experience. Yeah. I mean, eh. I but yeah, like I think just, I, I just hide the rest of the K-Tars and come back and find them yet tomorrow, you know? I'll bury them in the yard. I'm I'll, like a fucking dog. I'll get super drunk, bury the K-Tars, and then I'll have to find them again and I'll get my XP. Uh, so yeah, the, the starting skill package list, because both that and just the regular skills that you'd roll from like, is this manual labor or is this something I went to college for, is again, oh, I rolled two skills from group one, whoop-de-doo, yeah. or you could be like, I have seven skills and... I've got three from group three and two from group two. So it's for a game that doesn't seem to have a lot of variance in the other parts. The fact that there's so much in the skill section specifically seems weird and bad. Yeah. Jeff, uh, worst thing for you. Uh, I'm going to say the number of things in the book that are just this happens, you know, on a one through four, four on a D6, this happens. And on a five through six, this happens. And that's the end of that. And don't worry about it. The amount of this book that's just kind of already determined. It's more choose your own adventure than role playing game a lot of the time. God, that is, there's a huge amount of bestiary in this and the description sections for them they all have percentile roles or D6 roles, like all of them. Yeah, to just not engage or to run away at the moment they smell you, that kind of thing. Uh, almost all of the monsters are like, we will not attack you at all unless we vastly outnumber you. It's like, I know that's that's realistic, but it's boring for a role-playing game. Yeah, it's, it's like very weird. Every single fight that you get into is at a disadvantage. It's not, not going to be something that your players are going to enjoy. Well, they don't attack you. You can attack them. Yeah, I guess if you get the drop on them, then Go yes. fuck them up. Yeah, but you said there's no stealth rolls in this game of any kind. Yeah. And a lot of the monsters are camouflaged, and, and it'll give you the little descriptions of, like, these flying leathery bat tentacles will definitely see you first. Oh, well, yeah, there's a ton of monsters that are like, this detects all vibrations in a 10-mile radius and cannot be surprised. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thanks. So there's a lot of like stuff that's kind of answered before you get to it, and I'm never a huge fan of that. And it's, you know, it's just old. It's the sort of thing you saw all the time in books like this that did not last into modern game design. There you go. So there you go. That's just something I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, would you play this game? Uh, I don't think I could. Uh, I, I mean, I didn't say it as my least favorite thing, but... Er People who have listened for a long time know that I fucking hate made up words for dumb nonsense. And this is all, and not, not only is this all made up words, but there's a whole, there's like a good 20 pages at the back of this book dedicated to teaching you how to speak and write this language. Which I hate as well. And I was like, oh yeah, and you put a thing and a vowel goes over here and then a different vowel goes over here. And you, If you're like, curious about how to write Soliani, you do not write consonants or vowels on the main line of the sentence. Instead, you write them above or below the, the, uh, the consonant that precedes them, depending on if they're above or below vowels. Yeah, uh, and that also determines uh, determines vowel placement order because you ca you cannot put two vowel above vowels after a consonant. You have to the most vowels you can put after a consonant is two, one above vowel and one below vowel. Yeah, it's the um, I know that it's just there to guide how to speak for all these accent marks, but it just fucking I every time I read a sentence and like the paragraph that it is in is like 75% accent marks by weight. I'm just like, nope, don't care. I'm checked out already. Yeah, if you're looking at a sentence like outside of, of Soliani, you'll find Harum Garum Varum And it's got like eight accent marks in it. And you're like, I can't tell where there, there's a comma in there. Is that two words? What are we doing here? Yeah, the, the game setting, you may like it. I kind of don't care. Okay, fair enough. Like 
for me, the setting just didn't grab a hold of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so old-fashioned that I don't think I would be able to play it. What about Hayu? Uh, it's also too old-fashioned for me to play it. That said, I was fascinated by the setting, and I actually kind of like the linguistics and stuff, so I was enjoying my reading through all that. I would be curious to see what's happened to this game in the ensuing 43 years. Yeah. So, I mean, there are people that are still real fucking into it. Yeah, I want to see what the more modern editions... I think I have a more modern edition somewhere on the library wall. Uh, so there's... I am very curious to see what happened with this and where it is these days. Like, I'm sure there's been, like, a shitty OGL version of it, probably. Oh, good. Give me that regular D20 Tecamel. Yeah, so I, there's probably a D6 version of it somewhere. There's just... It, it, I'm sure that this this book's been adapted. I, I'm curious to see... Give me that PBTA if, Tecamel. Yeah, there you go. Some PBT... Some Powered fate. by the Petal Throne. Yeah, some Fate Tecamel. That's that's just what I wanted to hear. Hell yeah. <laughs> GURPS Tecamel. Give, give me that hot shit. Ooh, yeah. The world of Tecamel. Yeah, but uh, no, I'm curious to see what's going on with it these days. That's that's where I'm left behind. The game itself, the one that we read, is a little too old-fashioned for me, and I don't think I'd have a good time. I may have a gray beard, John, but that's I'm not that kind of gray beard. Nah. But there you go. All right. So there you have it. Uh, it's, it's probably a little old for us, but I'm curious to see what's happened to it. John is not, and that's the game. Yeah, and... Uh, if you are curious to read this edition, you can basically only get it through PDF and we don't normally plug this, but if you go to our website, systemmasterypodcast.com, we have a link to drive through RPG where if you want to read Tecamel or honestly any other RPG, you're going to buy RPGs anyway. You may as well use our link. It supports us. Yeah. We get, I think it's 5% of purchases made through that link. Yeah. I mean, you don't pay any more and we get a little bit of something. It helps us go so next time you're going to buy an rpg if you go to our website just click on the link for drive through rpg we get a little bit of something out yeah of we make we make very little but when we do need to cover a specific rpg that we don't have oh yeah it's, it's mostly very- just used to pay for <laughs> rpgs that we buy from drive through rpg it's store credit yeah that's exactly what it is especially because among other things the draconian system at drive through rpg is such that we can't touch that money for 60 days unless it's a store credit oh yeah we well, get money and then it just sits there looking at us yeah so I mean, I'm not saying it's a great system, but it is a system that helps us get more RPGs that we can use to make more shows. Yeah, I mean, it helps the show out. So, like I said, if you're going to buy an RPG anyway, you may as well give us something. Yeah, go through our link on drive through. I wish there was an easier way to do this. I w- yeah, I wish it was like drivethroughrpg.com slash yeah, system. Use, use the promo code SYSTEMMASTERY to unlock a 10% bonus on off your first order of Stamps.com's new uh, home delivery food snacks. But nope, it's just you got to go to System yeah. Mastery Podcast and click emailed, on our link. I've actually emailed the drive through RPG about the guy about this and been like, hey guys, you need a promo code system. They're like, we know, but we're a thousand years behind the times. We know, but we don't care because we're RPGs and uh, we don't give a fuck about modern technology just like RPGs. Yeah. Hi, there's a whole mystique to being shitty and bad in RPGs that we want to maintain because otherwise people might expect things of us. Huh? <laughs> uh... Anyway, go to Drive Through RPG, the shitty bad place we forgot to recommend correctly, and and support us <laughs> well, somehow. That you recommended poorly, I recommend it correctly. You're a bad person. I'm a, I'm bad a person. good person. That's right. All right. Well, anyway, otherwise, go to Patreon.com, another shitty bad place that we are desperate to, desperately relying on. Yeah, and uh, Patreon.com/slash/SystemMastery. You can support us at any level and unlock the bonus content for this show. We are making. 
bonus content, characters in Tecamel. That's right. We'll be describing our Tecamel characters in detail at the very next episode. If you're a $1 or higher supporter, you'll unlock that bonus content, uh, which is delivered bi-weekly. So mostly if you support us at a dollar level, it's going to be $2 or $3 a month uh, because the only content we charge for is System Mastery episodes. Even though we make 15,000 other shows. (laughs) We are constantly recording and yet. Yeah. So if you're looking to support us at the $1 level, you're probably looking at dropping about 2 to $3 a month on our fine content, and that's a pretty good deal, I would say. Yep. Uh, otherwise, we have several other levels available for you on Patreon. You can go to the $2 level to unlock the Expounded Universe bonus content, the $5 level to unlock the Secret Return of Afterthought, which is going to start next month. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, you want to get in before September starts, so that way you're... Weird nonsense for unlocking it doesn't get fucked up because I, I know they do weird well things at Patreon. Yeah, so support at the five dollar level to unlock after the return of a monthly afterthought show, complete with all the skits and questions and everything. Of course, you can also support us at the ten dollar level, where if you have been listening for uh, and supporting us for at least five episodes in a row, you can get us to read a. a uh, message for you right here on the show yeah uh, or be, if you want to just send us fifty dollars and cut through the bullshit and do yeah. that that's also available yeah we don't talk about it very often but we will read minor one-off ads for you on the show as long as they're for stuff that we support or endorse or don't think is stupid which is pretty rare and difficult but this month we do have a couple of those so we're going to be reading the two of them off uh the first one is from a friend of the show a longtime friend of the show we've read for him before actually a fellow by the name of sergeant nerd who uh, i think he has a different name on there but he is definitely, he writes a blog under the name Sergeant Nerd. John, if you want to take his. Yeah, uh, from the any award-nominated author of Cakewalk comes Banes. It's the first product from Sergeant Nerd Games. It is a system-agnostic book for adding weaknesses to monsters in an interesting way. Uh, each of the main Banes has multiple tells for figuring out what's going to hurt the monster, uh, descriptions of what that damage looks like, and a special effect for spicing up combat even more. Other sections include how a Bane should apply, both in terms of how, say, fire affects the creature and other sources of damage, how to use more exotic or unique weaknesses like the Sword of the Last King or unusual herbs from a haunted graveyard, and more exotic effects to change the course of battle like loss of spellcasting. Find it by looking for Banes or Sergeant Nerd games on DTRPG. That's drive Through RPG. And you can go ahead and find that, and you can also uh, click on our link and go get it. Yeah, you can drive through RPG. I'm going to turn your ad into an ad for us. And let me ask you a real quick question here, John. Uh, How is the obvious weakness of any given Bane that you encounter not the uh, the big venom tubes running across from his back to the back of his head? Right. I mean, you just cut those, and then he turns into a weak little man who's like, oh, no, I cannot defeat the bat. Oh, no, the bat. Yeah, I mean... I feel like that's the only weakness that the Bane ever has or exhibits, and it's it's obvious. Yeah. Anyway, I have one to read as well. This is from uh, from the friend of the show, Mickey, uh, who is cashing in. He'd like us to read this, and the message is, uh, this, is a, this is not an ad, so this is a nice fun one to read. Andrew, thank you for being my GM for these past few years. Sorry I fucked up all those campaigns. I will try harder next time to be a better PC. I appreciate all the work you do to make our campaigns fun and how much you put up with our shit, even when you called my Hot Springs episode bluff and made it into a drunken mess. Someday, I hope to be as good of a GM as you are. Swash. I assume that last part stands for something. Like, I don't know, but I'm not going to try and guess because I'm just not that imaginative at the moment. But there you have it. We will read personal messages to people and not just ads. So if you want to send someone a birthday message or something, we'll do it. Oh, yeah. If you want to 
propose on Sister Mastery? Not only will you, can you propose on Sister Mastery, but I am actually an ordained minister who's performed two weddings already. So if you want to pay a ton of money, I'll make that happen. Oh, yeah. You and can... then John can show up and be like the MC or something. Shit, I've been an MC on a couple weddings as well. Yeah, see? You can hire us for your wedding or bar mitzvah. Yeah, we will not plan it or do anything other than show up, eat a lot of your food, and, and read our legal minimums. Oh, we will definitely be fucking blasted out of our minds we might yeah you might not want to keep a lot of manischewitz out if we're doing that bar mitzvah (laughs) but we will indeed read our required lines that is exactly we'll hit our lines and hit our marks and it will be very expensive (laughs) it will be so expensive uh and you can support us at the two thousand dollar level if you are ray liotta yep only only if if you are ray liotta so ray liotta if you're listening your level is still available to you the two thousand dollar ray liotta platinum select (laughs) ray liotta if you are listening and i know you are Mm -hmm. Uh, anytime you you feel like it yeah we are ready for you there is no pressure there is no rush but if you are ray liotta you can support us at the two thousand dollar ray liotta platinum select level indeed Mm -hmm. all right so there you go that's patreon.com slash system mastery and system mastery podcast.com our our websites you can also find us at system mastery at gmail twitter reddit facebook all those fun places find us listen to our various other shows rate and review us on itunes and in general have a good day 